This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm your host, Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. Zach Harper will be joining me in place of Ben Dowsett uh, this week. It's been an interesting day for Ben. You know, that's, that it's, man, oh man, can a tweet blows. I mean, I, I thought I had it rough when, when Trey Burke went at me for, uh, you know, I tweeted out the highlight video with a little bit of a snarky comment this summer. Trey Burke responded, said, you know, why, why are you making fun of me out, out there in the world? Fine, whatever. But when the MVP comes at you, uh, you know it's bad. And three members of the Golden State Warriors come at, at one of your, your, your radio show co-hosts. Well, it, it's, it's a bad situation. Um, you know, I, I, I stand by Ben and what he said. Um, it's, it's, uh, a, it, it, it's a, I, I think he, Ben did the right thing and had the right idea in mind when he reported what he did. Oh, and Zach's actually downstairs. Can we go grab him? Cool. All right. Sorry, Zach. Zach just moved to Salt Lake, so we're trying to get him in the building so he can be on the show today. Um, Zach Harper is talk hoops, by the way. He's, he's going to be the co-host today. Uh, but anyway, back to what, what's going on with Ben. So he's gotten all this national attention from Bleacher Report, uh, you know, CBS Sports, ESPN. Uh, Deadspin did an article on him. He got, I counted earlier today, he got 1,500 mentions, um, just people attacking him on Twitter. Uh, I mean, Steph Curry calling him out on Twitter had 3,000 retweets. Like, this is, this is as bad as it gets for a media member um, in Salt Lake City. So it's, it's interesting to see how, um, how that looks, just to be kind of vilified for the whole world for, for doing something slightly incorrect. Or, or, and I don't even know that it was incorrect. Something that Draymond Green and Steph Curry didn't like. Uh, it, you know, it's obviously those guys are much more successful and well-known and, and famous than us, but, um, man, it's, it's, it's an unfair situation for Ben, but the good news is we will have Zach Harper on the show, um, to talk about the Utah jazz in the NBA today on, on the salt city hoop show. Uh, Zach, if you don't know, is at talk hoops on Twitter and CBS sports, national basketball columnist. Um, and, so, and he just moved to Salt Lake city. So I'm, I'm happy to have him here. As always, we welcome your guys' tweets and comments uh, on the show. You can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson. And for today, Zach at Talk Hoops. And, of course, you can always call us at 877-353-0700. We've got a pretty exciting game to talk about uh, from last night as well. Jazz Warriors was, I mean, definitely the best game so far uh, this season in, in Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City. But, I, you know, it's probably the second or third best game in the last four to five years, I would say. Really kind of since Darren Williams was traded in terms of just having a lot um, having a lot to offer. Just a close game. The, the defending champions coming in with an 18-0 record. And, you know, the Jazz nearly pulling it out despite it being close throughout. It was, it, it was an incredible watch. It was incredible to be there. It was, it was a playoff-like atmosphere. 
and the Jazz were just one shot away. I mean, you, you look at if the Jazz make the Rodney Hood shot at the end of the game, um, it, the, if Steph misses that shot with, with one minute left, it's a, it's a different ball game. Welcome, Zach. I, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Go ahead and sit there. Sorry. We're, yeah, it, it's great. Um, so I um, – anyway, I was just talking about the, why you're here instead of Ben, first of all, because yeah. Ben's had a bad day. Uh, <laughs> but a little bit of a bad day. Let me turn on your mic, and then you can actually talk. There. You oh, good? Is that me? That's there we you. go. Hey. Great. Uh, thanks, by the way, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I'm late. That's okay. I mean, so I actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about you moving to Salt Lake, if if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, A, why did you? How do you like the city so far? Like, you know, what? Tell me the Zach Harper Salt Lake City story. Uh, my girlfriend got a job in Salt Lake City. Okay. So, uh, as some may know, I can work from anywhere as long as there's an internet connection and hopefully some basketball. I really like this Utah Jazz team. Thought it'd be fun to come down here and, uh, and check out the team for a season at least, or maybe more. And uh, I like the city a lot so far. I've been here a few times, um, but never really spent a ton of time here. But uh, I don't know. So far, the weather's a little chillier than what I'm used to, but yeah. it's good. The the weather's chillier than I'm used to, too. For sure. Uh, and the, the grid system is, is a the superior address system, but it's it is wh- confusing at first. Well, it's confusing to Google Maps because I yeah. typed in the address several times in Google Maps. It just doesn't recognize it. It took me to the arena. So. Really? Um, I, I probably should have double checked that before I left, though. No, I and I should have like been like, hey, you know, this is on Third South instead of Third West. <laughs> right? But, you know, that's <laughs> that's unfair that I expected you to be here. But anyway, um, thanks, thanks for joining me. Hey, I love beer. Uh, and you know, it comes one day after some fantastic basketball in Salt Lake City. A too. great game, that, a really great game. Yeah, I, I was just saying that that was one of my you know top two or three games that has happened in Salt Lake City in the last few years, really since kind of the Darren Williams trade. Um, I would say maybe the only one that, that matches up is the Cleveland Cavaliers game where, where Gordon Hayward oh, yeah. hit that game, uh, game-winning buzzer beater last year. But in terms of you know, being close throughout, uh, a, a close-fought game uh, throughout, a well-played game by both teams. And, of course, the 18-0, now 19-0 Golden State Warriors coming in. And you know, the Jazz playing them pretty well, I thought. I thought they played them great. I thought they had a great game plan for it. You know, slow the game down. I think... Uh, I don't know how official this number is, but the NBA uh, media site had the game at around 93 possessions, which is pretty slow for a Warriors mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, they, they rebounded well for, you know, good parts of the game and, and so well, or at least were a big enough threat to the to the Warriors that they didn't go to their small lineup late in the game, which the Warriors usually go to that lineup. So you actually got the Warriors to change the way they typically run their rotations. And if you can do that when a team plays as well as the Warriors do and you have a chance to win the game, you know, Maybe that's a moral victory, and maybe moral victories aren't actually worth anything. I think it's a chance for a team like the Jazz. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Quinn Snyder talked about it. You know, it, what the result of this game is it, less important to them than what they've learned from this game a month from now. And it's interesting to me that the Quinn Snyder and the Jazz management is still looking so long term. You know, they're not they're not counting wins and losses. They're counting about they're looking at development. Even though, quite frankly, they have a pretty good team on their hands. They've got a very good team, and I I think that you know. The toughest thing to do with a young team is teach them how to play defense. And that's his team's identity, right? Mm. Big team. They can throw out that crazy three-wing lineup with the two bigs. Um, you know, they, defense is their calling card, and it helps having someone like Rudy Gobert in the middle. Uh, but to be able to teach a, de- a young team defense this early and then have them you know, kind of pick up the offense, pick up the ins and outs of the, of the league outside of that, um, that's just a really interesting way to build a team 
and, and the fact that they're able to do that, I think you feel like not only is the future really bright, the present has a lot of promise as well. And that's, you know, you don't always get that. It's usually, hey, in a couple of years, we'll be something. Well, the Jazz can be something now. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of see a, a six, seven, eight seed for them. I, you know, I probably a first round loss given that because you just look at the top three teams in the West they're, and they look really good. <laughs> they look unbeatable. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that Jazz Thunder game last week was kind of an indication of still how far the Jazz have left sure. to go. Um, but you look at kind of the rest of the conference, if you will. And I, I think the Western Conference is, is down a little bit this year. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But uh, they have a, you know, they have a chance to make their name, their, their case in the playoffs this year. I think so too. And I, you know, the West is kind of murky after those first three seeds to where I don't think a five seeds out of the question. I don't think a four seeds out of the question right really? now, because you, I know watching the Clippers, I don't like their defense at all. And their bench, I think they've got five guys off the bench right now that have um, true shooting percentages under 50%, which is just astronomically bad. And to have five of those guys is is pretty incredible. I don't know what we do with the Houston Rockets right now. Um, I don't know if it's a heart thing. I don't know if it's a schematics thing. I don't know what their deal is. But Feels they like a little bit of both. Yeah, they don't look good at all. And it doesn't look like, oh, well, they just need to change a couple things. Like, they need to try. And I don't know if you can teach a team how to try right um and so because those two teams are kind of in flux uh i don't i don't see why the jazz couldn't be up there with the grizzlies when the season's said and done and if you can avoid those top three teams by getting a four or five seed second round's not out of the question yeah and i, I think that's definitely the case it, it is really the wars warriors spurs thunder and then i think there's a really big drop off yeah, to absolutely. clippers grizzlies uh mavericks suns rockets etc cetera, etc cetera, right. the rest of the western conference um, I, yeah, I mean, coming into last night's game, I thought that if for the Jazz to have any chance at all, the Warriors needed to have a, a mediocre shooting night for them. Yeah. And, and I, I thought they shot at the lights out more hit, or less last night. 14 I mean, threes that had a good percentage. Right. 48% from three. Yeah. Um, and, and then they didn't even win on the glass either. Right. The, you would I think expect down 10 or 12. Or yeah. Something like uh, that. 14 to 10 in offensive rebounds. Yeah. And it honestly kind of felt like more that during some parts of the game. Uh, you know, you would think that kind of the Jazz's template for a victory there would be hope the Warriors don't shoot as well from three as they normally do, dominate the defensive or defensive and offensive glass, and uh, get more extra possessions that way, get to the free throw line a lot, muck the game up. I think they did. They mucked the game up and yeah. they got to the free throw line, but still to see the Warriors shoot so well and that game still be so close is, you know, again, it's a loss, but it's got to be an encouraging sign. I think so, and I think that you also saw that they weren't just relying on Gordon Hayward to be their guy, right? Rodney Hood stepped up. Alec Burks had some nice minutes. Derek Favors is a monster as he's been all season. Um, so that's those are really encouraging signs that you're not just relying on one guy to be there. And then, you know, they did force the Warriors to be a little bit sloppy, and the Warriors can be sloppy at times, um, but usually it's out of carelessness trying to make the flashy play. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was totally that way. They blitzed a lot of Steph Curry pick and rolls. They, they crowded him a little bit. They chased guys on screens really well which is tough to do with this Warriors team. It, it felt like they were scouted. Um, the, the scouting they did for the Warriors was just pristine, and, yeah. and they followed that game plan really well, and they had a chance to win. You wrote uh, in your post-game article last night that it kind of gave the rest of the league a little bit of a template on how to beat the Warriors. You know, it didn't happen that night, but maybe Charlotte takes advantage of a next game or yeah. whatever the case might be in this, in this road trip that they're on. Yeah, and I think that especially when you, you know, I don't know when the Warriors lose at this point because this was the hardest game of that road trip. Um, and, and I guess maybe the tough part of the road trip is just the fact that it's so long and yeah. it's so far away from home and that can wear on you. Maybe Charlotte can, can catch them. But the thing with Charlotte is they're not that they are a def- defensive minded team, but they've gone a lot more towards spacing the floor threes, picking up the pace a little bit. 
Well, that plays right into the Warriors' hands. So will they change their style to do that? Will someone along that road trip do that? Maybe Toronto can kind of switch between both styles. Um, but this is the way. I mean, if you're the Grizzlies, you probably need another perimeter player, but that's the way you want to you want to beat them up. If you're the the Spurs, they've gone more to a big style of play this season, slower play. So maybe that kind of shows them, hey, this does actually work. We Another question kind of coming into the game, and I do want to ask uh, Nate Duncan, our guest later on in, in the show today about this, is whether or not the Warriors would be able to force either Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert out of the game and kind of make the Jazz play small. And instead, I thought, you know, the Warriors played big for the most part. And that might be because of the Harrison Barnes injury, which, you know, yeah. I don't think should be minimized. Right. But uh, the Warriors did stay with two fairly traditional bigs for, for most of that game, which I think is encouraging for kind of this can the Jazz continue playing with Favors and Gobert long-term question, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I think the answer is yes as long as – I mean, I think you need more out of Gobert offensively. Um, he hasn't had a – at least the games I've been here, I've been here for about a week and a half. The, the offensive games he's had haven't been great. He's looked a little more uncomfortable than you've seen in the past, um, getting the ball a little farther away from the basket. But I think that's all correctable stuff, and he's developing still, and so there's time with that. The way Favors is developing is just – I mean, I don't know. You, you can't say enough about the guy of, of how well yeah. he's played. So as long as he keeps playing like this, you can really play any style that you want. And it isn't, you know, the Barnes injury is key because it's hard for them to go to that smaller lineup without him, but they still have the pieces to go to that lineup. And uh, and what you can, you know, if you change their style of play, if you change their, their typical imprint on the game, that is, a, that is a sign that you're going in the right direction with this style. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, speaking of Derek Favors, you kind of mentioned how, how versatile and how, really how good he's been this yeah. season. Uh, his defense switching on to Steph Curry for the final two possessions, Golden State offensive possessions, I thought you know he did as well as you can ask on the defensive end in yep. terms of guarding a really the best perimeter player in the league um, from in his wheelhouse. It's just you know Steph made one of the two threes. Yeah, and I mean that contest on the one he made, it was a great that, contest. That's like, I mean, we're talking a half inch away from from tipping the shot. I mean, it was a great defensive possession. It's just Steph's that good. Yeah, it's a twenty six foot step back three point shot. Like. Yeah, which is difficult for everybody not named Steph Curry. <laughs> and, well, and that's what's incredible is it, it's it's still a difficult shot. And, and yeah. you know, you, you, it's, at some level, you have to tip your cap. Um, you mentioned earlier Rodney Hood too, and uh, kind of getting back to that final minute that had that baseline drive in the end mm-hmm. that. Um, put the game within one that to me showed a lot of uh i i don't know veteranness experience if you will to be able to kind of recognize that andre Iguodala was preventing him from going to try to get that pick and just you know he took advantage of what what the defense was giving him and made a tough finish over festus azili i guess i kind of threw because festus was yeah festus wasn't quite it, vertical like, but he didn't make contact but right. yeah um yeah i think a lot of younger guys would maybe panic in that situation of like oh i'm supposed to go get that screen what do i do now and he just it was taken away so he took what was there and and you hear so much and it's kind of cliche but it's true when players say i'm just taking what's available you know by the defense uh, if you can do that and be successful, you become a really good player. And then what did you think of the, the last shot of the game? Again, a Rodney Hood play. Um, it was actually set up for Gordon Hayward to come off a double screen. And, you know, for whatever reason, the, the Warriors jumped the pass a little bit. The, the timing didn't work. They weren't able to get the ball to Hayward. And so Hood kind of had to improvise a little bit. Uh, I've heard a lot of 
complaints that the shot was either too early or, you know, when you're down one, you should probably go for a two rather than a three. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are kind of your thoughts there? Um, I thought the play call was was it, it looked like it was pretty smart because, you know, Gordon goes to sort of set a screen, then slip it to go around the double screen. Um, and the Warriors just I don't know if they got lucky, if they, they sniffed it out, but they kind of blew up the play. And then at that point, I think you just you can pull back and just go one on one or go a quick pick and roll in that situation. But if the shot's there, I think you take whatever shot's there. And it was a good look. He, I think he'd hit one of those earlier in the game, maybe even in that quarter. And, you know, it wasn't heavily contested. I think you'll live with that shot, you know, nine times out of ten. Yeah, for for a last possession against the Golden State defense, yeah. uh, I think that's that's the kind of shot that you really want. And, you know, we've seen, like, Kirk Goldsberry had that graph that he published last year. I, I had it in my postgame article that shows, you know, your your field goal percentage is not different between 5 feet out and 26 feet out. Right. You know, you have about the same odds of making that shot no matter really how far away it is, unless it's a, it's an layup you know very mm. close to the basket but you know a 10-foot jump shot is still a lot harder than people think um i think I, most people would say it's it's a lot harder especially when you're mo- you have to you know be in motion to get to that point pull right. up it's it's a pretty difficult shot so for a hood you know with andre godala trailing that screen by rudy gobert um i thought azili did a great job of kind of surprising hood with the contest at yes. the end because it, it was going to be an open look until azili kind of jumped out um, but uh, in terms of a last second look, I think it was about as good as you can expect. Maybe you, you would hope that it would happen a little bit later, but given that Gordon Hayward didn't end up with the ball, you're kind of, like I said, improvising anyway. And I think, I think this is something where it's tough to, to kind of register this because to us it's, oh, a big guy just flew out of that shot. That's a good contest. I think there are a lot of shooters in the league, and maybe Hood's going to be that guy, but there are a lot of shooters that if they know you're not going to block the shot, they're not really worried about the contest. Like yeah. it, it can be a little bit of an optical illusion to get in the way, but it's, you know, Steph Curry's one guy, but maybe you shouldn't judge everybody on Steph right. Curry. But uh, if they know they can get the shot off, they're not really bothered by it. I will say that I don't know if Rodney Hood's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a stat that coming into last night's game, he was 9 for 41 on contested jump shots, not you ideal. know, by uh, the NBA's sure. definition of that, um, within 3.5 feet and a, a shot outside of 10 feet. So, you know, that's, yeah, not a good percentage. That's yeah. less than 25%. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe he's not that sort of guy that if, if someone does have a hand close to him, then that, that does change right. whatever it is. But um, that being said, you know, again, for an improvised play, it, it, it was okay. I was, I was okay with it. Quinn Snyder was okay with it. Yeah, I think it was, you know, they blew up the play. He got a good shot off and... I don't know. Look like look to me for at least half that shot. It was going in. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> kind of from our angle, yeah. and, and we sit next to each other from from press row. It did. It was kind of straight on. Yeah. it was just what for. And then honestly, the Draymond rebound miss or rebound after the miss was a phenomenal and also kind of insane play. Like I, that is a really difficult <laughs> rebound to grab. That was amazing. Yeah, I mean to come first of all, both Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are there fighting for that rebound. They kind of tip it a little bit. Draymond reaches up, comes down with it first of all, and then is falling out of bounds and instead of, you know, he, I guess he could have called timeout or whatever, but he he gets it to Steph, which is crazy because then Alec Burks and, and Gordon Hayward are kind of on the other side. Like there's a, a tiny window for him to make that pass. Yeah. I thought it was incredibly dangerous at the time. Somehow it gets through and, you know, it ends up salting the game away. And, and we're a little bit in the, I mean, not quite Charles Barkley's zone, but Draymond's like maybe 6'6". Six, six. Like yeah. He's not that tall, so, but he has long arms. But to go get that ball 
Um, and then you're right, the pass was kind of risky, but that's the kind of passes the Warriors seem, right. to, seem to throw. It, it, it usually works for them. Um, you know, we talked about their turnover problems, but that's overall, you would have to they say do a, that they their do a pretty good job. Out. Um, any other random thoughts from last night's game? I, I, I thought there was a big difference in the crowd from last night's game compared to the other two or three games you've been to. So yeah, so no, definitely a much more energetic crowd. I think you can feed off the, off that a little bit. I don't know how cliche that is with players, but I think there are some players that really do feed off that mm-hmm. that energy and it, and it kind of boosts them. I think there were points, in the especially in the fourth quarter, where this game was tight, where you thought, hey, they've got a little bit of extra in their step. Maybe that's just the adrenaline. I don't know what that is, but I like the I like the effort. I'm not sure... I think the thing I took away was I'm not sure how much the Jazz can play their point guards. Yeah. Like against really top teams. Um, you know, Neto does an okay job. Trey Burke can be a scorer at times, but there's a lot missing there. Yeah, no no doubt. And I I kind of talked about this last night in my, my podcast after the game. Uh, I almost, I mean, this is a weird way to look at it, but it's almost kind of like low-hanging fruit for the Jazz to improve. Sure. I, I remember talking to someone when Ty Corbin was the Jazz's coach, and it, we kind of looked at it as like, sure, Ty Corbin's not a good coach, and I think every, everyone could kind of see that by the end. Um, but maybe by making an improvement in that in that spot, you can get an easy five or so wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just by not having one of the worst coaches in the league coach your team. <laughs> sure. I, and I, I I feel bad a little bit for being so mean to Ty, but let, let's be a little bit is. honest about <laughs> yeah. what what was going on there. Um, I almost feel that way with the Jazz's point guards that, you know, yeah, you've got some replacement level talent in there. But if you get and if you get an above replacement level guy and you can get a three to four win point guard fairly cheaply. And it's a the pretty NBA saturated market, position at this point. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, that's that's an easy way to get a few extra wins to your team. Yeah. And, you know, the timing is of it is off because of the ACL injury. Maybe someday Dante Exum is that guy. Yeah. Um, you probably need him quicker than he can develop, you know, based on where he is just where he was last wise. season right where, where he was last season coming back from the injury that'll probably take a year or so quite frankly um, Raul Neto and Dante Exum are not that dissimilar of rookie point guards in, right, in terms of what they showed on yeah, the floor one six six right. <laughs> you know the other one's not That's but they're really both kind of defensive specialists yeah. uh, you know playmaking maybe you can point, make a play here but and there, yeah. maybe you can make an outside shot here and there but you know uh, certainly are not scoring for you and then both have kind of similar single digit PERs as a result sure uh, let's go ahead and take a break on the other side. I want to talk uh, with you a little bit about kind of, there have been a couple kerfuffles with the media and basketball today. Yeah. Um, and, and yesterday too, with, with the Kevin Durant mentioning the media on Kobe Bryant. Um, you wrote an article about that. And of course our, our man, our usual co-host for the show, Ben Dowsett has, has found himself in some hot water today. We'll talk about whether or not that's fair or, or not coming up next on the South city hoop show. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Uh, Andy Larson and Zach Harper joining you. Zach Harper, CBSSports.com national NBA columnist. Just moved to Salt Lake City, so we're happy to have him on the show. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great to have you. You're at Talk Hoops for crying out loud. You're, sure, that you're, you're a something. legend. I don't know about legend, but uh, if you like uh, Nicolas Cage movies, I'm your Twitter account. Yes, <laughs> we, we appreciate your analysis thereof. We should we should have a segment on that at some point. Oh like man, that we could, I could do an we hour. Do that. Yeah, we could definitely do that. All right. Um, I wanted to talk to you. You you had an article about this yesterday, and then uh, this this Ben Dowsett thing blew up today. 
um, on kind of the role of the media in, in covering players and um, reporting in the locker room and, and that sort of thing. So l- let me give a little bit of background first sure. before we, we get into kind of what we think. Um, was it yesterday that Kevin Durant's comments came out, or was it was it Saturday? It, uh, so he, he announced Sunday, so it was either Sunday or, or Monday. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And, and basically, Kevin Durant was asked, you know, what what do you make of Kevin of Kobe Bryant's career, and you know, what does it mean to you? And, and at first, he was, you know, Kobe's a legend, blah blah blah. But then he got into this um, thought on that he felt Kobe Bryant was being unfairly treated by the media. Yes. That uh, basically the media had been mean to him over the last couple of seasons as as the injuries have taken their toll and and clearly he's not the Kobe Bryant of old. And Kevin Durant felt that the media was being, you know, I think vastly unfair to to Kobe Bryant. So th- that caused a little bit of a, um, a again controversy yesterday. Then after the game last night, um, Ben Dowsett tweeted from the Golden State Warriors locker room. They have a TV on in the locker room showing the Jazz's post game on on Root Sports. Um, the Jazz show a tweet basically saying that the Jazz played the champs like champs. Yeah. Um, good effort by the Jazz, but didn't come through. Super innocuous tweet um, by Pete Busha is is one of our actually loyal Salt City Hoops listeners, so I wanted to sh- give him a shout out. Um, and, and Ben said that Draymond Green and Steph Curry kind of saw the tweet, laughed at it, and Draymond said, F that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with the more colorful language used. Sure. Now, um, this morning, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Andrew Bogut all, I guess, disputed Ben's claim. I've gotten several sources, by the way, in the locker room that did hear what Ben reported and will verify it as true. So it's from that point of view, I don't think there's any question as to the veracity of Ben's story. Um, but there was some, and it was wildly unfair what I think Draymond Green had to say about Ben. Yes. That yeah, Ben called him, uh, he was called a, a, what was it, mad, he's mad corny, I believe. Mad corny, called him, a, I said the word coward, said he was lying. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. I mean, and, and so there's that. And then the MVP of the league, Steph Curry, says, hey, Ben Dowsett, it looks like you're reaching here. Yeah. Um, and then had the, the picture of the referee calling the foul. Andrew Bogut got in on it saying that, you know, maybe the NBA should be a little bit more careful about who they credential. I can tell you from experience and from being around Ben, and this isn't me being biased or that, you know, I work with Ben on a professional level, but Ben is one of the most professional people in the locker room. He's always asking. He's he's not the guy just standing around for no reason. He right. is asking questions at every opportunity um, and, and asking really interesting, insightful questions, too. And I think it's incredibly valuable that he's there for kind of the quality of the overall discussion in terms of what comes out of his articles and and through Twitter. But, um, man, there is just – NBA players were unhappy with the media today. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a any, you know, any huge revelation that NBA players may be unhappy with the media. But, um, I don't know, to, to briefly touch on the Kobe Bryant thing. Yeah, let's, um, let's start there. <clears throat> I think that Kevin Durant is valid in saying that the coverage of – Bryant has been negative. Mm-hmm. Um, the media, well, some media members may not agree with this, but the majority of the media, we are not a PR firm for the NBA. Right. Um, our job is to cover the stories. Our, you know, and this isn't, I don't mean this nearly as self-righteous as it'll come off, but uh, when players are playing well, we kind of talk about it and celebrate and wonder if it's sustainable. When players are playing poorly, we talk about it, you know, critique it and wonder if it's sustainable. Yeah. Um, that's kind of our job, especially from like guys who are more, analytical not even analytics but just like they analyze the game 
rather than storytell. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with Kobe Bryant, like the story is being told that hey, this has not been a fun end to his career, a, 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 a historic career, an all-time career, and I don't think we should sugarcoat it. So in that respect, you know, I think I think Durant, I understand him sticking up for his guy. I think a lot of his views on the media probably come, and this is me assuming, but probably come from the way Russell Westbrook is treated by the media. Yeah, and he doesn't like that. Um, and that can sour you on that. But there's also a Especially weird thing. Especially because like, a lot of what had been reported on, say, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook's relationship had, had seemed to be either blown out of proportion or you know, not how those guys viewed what they Very much not was. how they – I can tell you that's not how they view it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, I, I can see why they would be um, unhappy with the media in general. But then it's also worth pointing out that, say, Kevin Durant was, and Ethan Strauss made this point, uh, that Kevin Durant was upset about the media reporting that Scotty Brooks was about to be fired. Right. Well, then he was. And you know, was. They, they were accurate about that. And I think the media is, again, accurate about Kobe Bryant's descent into He's been inefficiency. Bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and like, not just bad. And because it's Kobe Bryant, it's a story. Right. He's that good. And if anything, that's flattering of like, if most guys were shooting 31%, we wouldn't make it a national story. He's that good. Right. He's that important to the league. Like that's why it's a story. If he was shooting forty eight percent, we'd be celebrating that. Yeah, we. I mean, this would be the the last stand of of Kobe, and and you know, it'd, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. I. I okay. Ne- next question. Like, wh- both you and I are are we make jokes on Twitter <laughs> a lot. That's almost lot, all I do. <laughs> so, like, is there is there a line there where like you can't be a professional media person while kind of making fun of these guys? Because I think a, a little bit we we you know laugh at some of their games or laugh at some of the bloopers or the yeah. the lowlights or whatever the case might be. And I, I think a lot of people sometimes take offense to that. I personally don't say anything I wouldn't joke about with someone in front of their face. Okay. Like, I mean, I mean that's just me. I'm also. I don't have the best tact sometimes with that stuff, so maybe that's not the way to go. Uh, I'm not the person to model that after. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, Twitter, social media in general, it's a medium for for a – it's supposed to be a fun conversation, and Mm -hmm. making jokes about people can be fun. Like, you don't want to be mean-spirited about it. You don't want to make – you know, like when people get into, like – I'll get a question every once in a while. Who's your top five ugly players? I'm not really – like, I'm not crazy about that question. I don't care about that. You know, like, that's not a thing to me. But if you – if you know Kobe Bryant falls down trying to do something, I'll make a joke about it. Right. Kevin Garnett's my favorite player. I mean, player and, of all- and inside the NBA on TNT is doing this. They right? have a like, whole they have yeah. a whole segment <laughs> on it. Like if Kevin Garnett's my favorite player uh, of all time, I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves guy. Um, he fell down earlier in the season. I made a joke about it because it's just fun, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just a, a fleeting moment of humor, and then you move on to the next thing, right? Um, so I don't think that like I think as long as you're respectful and you have good intentions. Um, and you're not, you know, being racist or anything. Like, right. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a problem with making jokes on Twitter. Also, when it comes to what what Ben did and what Ben tweeted about, there is a risk in that because you have to know that you're interpreting the situation properly um, and accurately. Uh, I actually, I don't want to, I don't want to throw out my own stuff, but I, I do host a podcast for CBS Sports, yeah. and I had Dan Wykey of the Orange County Register on today, and we talked about this incident. Incident. I, that's dramatic, but we talked about this thing that happened, and he actually said that. You know, you know, he's been a beat reporter for a few years now, and he covers the Clippers and does a great job. And he said once the locker rooms are open for availability, it's all fair game, which I found to be an interesting take on it. I, I think that uh, may be the the most common take I've heard from the, the people I've talked to. And, and uh, let me tell you where I'm getting this a little bit from is I talked to Jonathan Reinhardt, who's mm-hmm. a Utah Jazz's PR director, and he said, you know, uh, I think uh, – 
play media have a responsibility to cover no, newsworthy stories sure. and, and noteworthy stories and and that's where Reinhardt thought that uh Ben may have as have crossed the line is you know maybe this incident with Draymond laughing at the TV is is not that important to call out but you know there's like a fist fight in the locker room and it's happening right in front of you yeah. you don't have to ask the guy if it's on the record hey, before was that you talk right about this was that right fight. hook on the record or off the <laughs> yeah. record like you don't you don't ask that right and you know and if guys are making jokes in the locker room you know we've seen that kind of coverage all the time of you know x player makes fun of y player for their fashion you know, right. for whatever shoes they're wearing or whatever the case might be you know we've seen that time and time again it's just kind of uh, when it turns out to be in a, in a negative light, I think that's that's where the backlash came in today. Yeah, and I think uh, Dan's point on the podcast was, um, you know, you have to make sure it's worth it. What's yeah. the you know yeah. what's the win in that? Was there actually a win in in Ben tweeting that stuff and, and making that a story? I don't know. Like maybe to him there was of like, hey, the Jazz just played really well, just gave you maybe your toughest game. How about a little bit more credit? Um, and if that's part of his story, you know, there is a very a uh, real ongoing conversation about the Warriors' demeanor and you know whether or not they're too cocky or stuff. Like I don't put a lot into that, but there are a lot of people that are interested in that. Yeah, I, I think that's what we saw today. Is yeah, exactly. there are a lot of people interested, interested. <laughs> and maybe that's where um, the the story is newsworthy comes down because clearly a lot of people are interested, and it's not because Ben Dowsett is a famous individual, right? right? Like it's it's because people are kind of interested in are the Warriors cocky or not as as part yeah. of this national conversation about about the team fairly or unfairly. And I have no problem. I actually thought Steph's way of dealing with it was kind of clever. Like, I, I did too. That, yeah. That's a funny joke to me. Uh, it's just he has, I don't know, 8 million followers or whatever he has. Yeah. Like, that's gonna, <laughs> I think it's 3.2. Yeah, that's going to get you a lot of a lot of reaction. Um, I have no problem with Draymond defending himself. I have a problem with the way he did it. Yeah. Um, and the, and, you know, the avenue he took with that uh, of calling names instead of saying, hey, you got this wrong. Um, I think that's a problem. I have no problem with Andrew Bowie questioning whether or not there are the right people in the locker room, but that's also not his determination to make. But no, it's, but it's, it's a fair conversation. To question. Yeah, and he's he's part of that question, just you know, like the Professional Basketball Writers Association yeah. is, just like the NBA teams and I, are. And I agree and, with you. I've only been here for three home games, but in every every lo- road locker room I've been in here in those three games, Ben's asked really insightful questions, so mm-hmm. I, I can at least back that up in those three games. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, again, you know, if this were like a a symptomatic of a problem. Obviously, right. then yeah. to be having a different discussion, but we're we're not Ben's Ben's Ben, and there's a reason that he's the co-host of this program. There's yeah. a reason that you know he he is where he is, has a national platform on Basketball Insiders, that sort of thing. Um, and, and I I think you're right that Steph's Steph's tweet was funny. Yeah. Um, Draymond's was was much meaner, and yeah. and and you know calling for the credentials of a guy. You're you're kind of telling people that he should have his job taken away. Yeah, which that's, I, you know, that's, I don't think that's is, not your is right. Yeah. Is the right thing to to be doing um you know it's funny like i trey burke called me out on twitter over the summer i don't know if you're aware of this but i Mm. um i tweeted out a highlight video of of trey burke's uh 2014-15 season where he famously was the first player to shoot over a thousand shots and uh shoot under 37 percent for the season since 1964 um (laughs) (laughs) which i know is like a a it's not that crazy of a set of circumstances but um anyway so i i tweeted hey tra- someone made a trey burke highlight video for the season which was admittedly a, a pretty mean-spirited joke to make yeah. and trey took offense and and um i think maybe the 
the uh, tipping point there was when another reporter asked, "Was it a vine?" Which was a oh. a classic. Oh, that's, all right. that's, that's, that's a burn. That's bur- that's kind of clever, but it's fun. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, 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 fun. it's funny, but it's it's a little it's, messed up. It is mean spirited, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you know, that, it's something that I faced a little bit today. But I I think or this summer, but Ben's in a whole new world with with you know the defending champs and the MVP of the league coming at him. Yeah, and that that's tough. And I think that there are enough people, uh, not just locally but nationally, that respect his stuff. And I think that you know you, know, you may you maybe take a couple of days off Twitter and you'll be fine. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, I want to talk to you a little bit about Kobe Bryant. Yes, um, his moments here in in Utah have been uh, legendary. I guess and his final game will actually be here on April thirteenth. So we'll t- uh, actually in Lakerland on April thirteenth, but. That his final game is against Utah Jazz is a little bit appropriate given his career. And then just kind of talking about Kobe Bryant as an experience um, for the NBA fan. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson here alongside Zach Harper at Talk Hoops on Twitter, CBS National Sports uh, Writer. I'm... Managing Editor of Salt City Hoops, Utah Jazz Beat Writer for KSL.com. Check out my work on KSL.com if you haven't already. And, um, of course, Zach's on CBS Sports. It's Both of those, all of those are good websites. Yeah, I'd, I'd visit all of them all the time. <laughs> I also, would never stop clicking them. I'd also just listen to our podcast. Just play them on re- repeat. Just, you, actually, here's the thing. I don't even care if you listen to my podcast. Just download it. That's all you got to do. Just download it. Don't waste Just your time. Have it on your computer. Yeah. And yeah, it's not. Do you do you hear about uh, that band on Spotify that like released an album to their fans of just silence? So then their fans played it when they would go to sleep at night, and then they would get all the the money raking in from. That's the kind of brilliant. Plays. That is kind it's of brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Like they did it for like apparently six months until Spotify recognized what was going on, and oh, made like several thousand dollars as a result. That's a. I wish I was smarter at business stuff because I would, I would figure whatever the podcast equivalent of that is, I'd do that. I mean, you could do the podcast equivalent, right? Just create a new podcast, not, you know, not called Eye on Basketball, but sure. whatever else. And, and then after like the... seven and a half hours, it's just me going, hey, wake up. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, the, the, the Zach Harper <laughs> Set Your Alarm to Me podcast. Right. I don't know. What, a, what a great way to we, wake up. We need a better name for this, but I, I think it can work. Um. Anyway, let's talk about Kobe Bryant. He he announced his retirement uh, in a um, poem, which was an interesting way of doing it, on, on Players' Tribune, uh, that this will be his last season in the NBA. And given his play on the floor, it probably makes sense. Sure. Uh, tonight, the Sixers won their first game of the season against the Los Angeles Lakers. Everyone was very excited about how Kobe Bryant was playing for, through the first three minutes of the game. Yeah. Uh, like you said, he was he was four for seven earlier in the game. Unfortunately, ended up with a seven for twenty six shooting line, minus twenty one while he was on the floor in the in the thirty two minutes he played. So that means what he was three for nineteen for the rest of the game after the first six minutes or so. In four for seventeen from three. Ooh. I mean, just chucking. <laughs> just chucking. I mean that. Oh, like, man. there's probably a certain point where Nick Young looked over and was like, "Hey, buddy." Maybe maybe move the ball a little bit. Calm down. Those are ridiculous shots you're taking, <laughs> sir. Yeah, Nick Young only took three shots. Oh, I can imagine he wasn't happy then. No. Nick And 12 minutes? I mean, Meta World Peace played 19 minutes, and Nick Young played 12 minutes tonight. I kind of get the feeling that Byron Scott, if he didn't have Nick Young on his roster, he would be perfectly happy. Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, let me ask you this. Do you think Byron Scott knows that he's being used as a weapon to tank? 
No, and that's the that's the beauty of it <laughs> all. He definitely is right. Like that's yeah. that's why the Lakers have him is because they want to keep their pick their top three protected pick for next in the next draft. When the Knicks had the offseason they had, I looked back at everything Phil Jackson said last year. I was like, "You are a genius! Like yeah. you just played us so well. Like just played us so well with everything he did. Like mm-hmm. I fully believe they meant to have a bad season to get because they don't have their pick this year, so they needed to maximize that." That draft pick, they ended up with the fourth pick. Kristaps Porzingis looks pretty good. Yeah. And and now, you know, they were able to put together a solid offseason. They look pretty decent. Like, look way better than they looked last year. Yeah. I think Mitch Kupchak saw what happened there and was like, all right, Byron's our guy again this year. This is the team we're putting together. We got to keep the pick. And here you go. Right. So, given that, why do you trade for Roy Hibbert? That's a good question. Um, that, maybe- see, this is my argument in my head. Like, the, the devil on either shoulder. I guess there's a devil on one and the angel on the other. Yeah. It's like... Is does he is he tanking or is he not? Except like, they're both Jim Bus on, on each <laughs> shoulder. Yeah, that's the problem. My my Jim Bus story, by the way, is uh, this year in summer league. Me, uh, Bill Orham, and Aaron Falk, um, all writers, um, went to the Bellagio like three a.m. and Jim Bus is there just on a kiss slot machine, just pulling. <laughs> Pulling the kiss slot machine, hoping hoping for the riches, I guess. I don't know. What what are you trying to do when if you're you Jim Buss? If you gave me 20 guesses on what slot machine Jim Buss was playing, I would have guessed kiss right away. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I would have done. In the top five. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's some luxury tax money you're trying to get. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I I I don't I it doesn't really make sense then, right? Like so maybe Mitch Kupchak doesn't know that they're tanking and that's Is that the that's equivalent good... of giving a Achilles ridden Kobe Bryant forty nine million dollars of just being Maybe. a rich person sitting at a slot machine feeding <laughs> it money. That's that's I mean I'm sure he spent forty nine million dollars of course sure. <laughs> on the dollar slot machine. Uh that was that right, by the way. Um uh, my, uh I, I a, love summer league for stuff like that. A quick summer league story is I yeah. um sat down at a war uh a war table in the Cosmopolitan okay. two years ago with Daniel Orton, okay. uh, Kentucky Wildcat, played in the NBA a little yeah. bit. And at a certain point, he got so bored, he just started betting $500 at a time on <laughs> war. War. You don't, there's no skill in that. You just no. get a card, and maybe you win. Or maybe you go to war. And, it, and he, I don't know, he went through a lot of money, but he also started ma- making a lot of money Did at he? one point. So, I mean, war is a game of skill. And that, was, that is a, <laughs> watching an NBA player or pseudo-NBA player play war with a lot of money, is, it, that's an experience. That is, that's, that's pretty special. Yeah. All right, well, now we have, like, two minutes to talk about Kobe Bryant. I love Kobe but, Bryant. <laughs> um, uh, we talked about it. Kobe's had a lot of moments um, in Salt Lake City and against Utah Jazz. Maybe the most famous one was the, his, I believe it was his rookie or second season, 1997, um, Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Um, he hits four, shoots four air balls in the fourth quarter in overtime as, as the Jazz win that game. Um, so that was that's one. But then you look at all the different times he's played here in the regular season. There were three consecutive playoff series victories for the Los Angeles Lakers over the Utah Jazz and, and the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer days. Um, and honestly, was a part of my childhood growing up. And, and kind of my angst towards Kobe Bryant is absolutely the result of those three consecutive playoff losses. Uh, and like I said, his final game as an NBA player, assuming he stays healthy, will be April 13th in Los Angeles against the Utah Jazz. I have a I have a bit of an up and down uh following of Kobe Bryant because um I'm from Sacramento. My friends were all Kings fans growing up and they yeah. were kind of annoying to me. So when the Kings fa- played the Lakers, I was like, "All right, let's go Lakers." Like wasn't a Laker fan, <laughs> right. but I was just like, "I want the Kings to lose because I'm because I'm that cool." 
uh, <laughs> to be that kind of a person. I, I want my friends to hate yeah, me. Yeah, and then this I got really great. tired of Kobe's attitude. So then I was like really sour on him. And then I got, and then it was finally like the night of the eighty-one point game. I he he like broke me. I was just like, all right, like he's maybe not the greatest person in the world or greatest personality. But I can respect that kind of skill. Like it was just that outpouring yeah. of eighty-one, even against a horrible defensive team like Toronto that year. Um, it was just kind of like, all right, I get it. Like, you adjust I, I for get... their terribleness defensively, and he still scores sixty-eight. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. You're still pretty impressed. And I just I understood it at that point. Like whether right. you accept it or not, I was just like, all right, I get it now. And so since then, I've been a little more appreciative of Kobe Bryant. I've been really appreciative of him in the last three years, old man Kobe Bryant, yeah. as like he's started to open up with the media. Be uh, you know, we, everyone talks about kind of his business savvy recently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's been a lot of fun to follow, just from a, a quotes and personality standpoint, as he's been more honest and open about what he thinks about the different players and teams around the league. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he is kind of a fascinating guy for quotes like that. I, it's a little unfortunate that he's re- announcing his retirement three years after his career actually ended. Yeah, but that's just. How it goes with some guys. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Um, I, I'll always remember the the roller coaster of Kobe. It, it was, yeah, I mean, there were there were times where the the shooting helped you a lot, and you know, it was a, a, unquestionably a a top twenty NBA player ever. You can definitely make a case for top ten. Obviously, the five rings is a big deal. Just how much he emulated Michael Jordan too was a big part of that Kobe Bryant experience. And just being ninety five percent of Michael Jordan. I always kind of wonder, by the way, like what he would have been if he would have chosen to emulate somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if he wouldn't have used Michael so much as a template for his game. And, you, you know, with him, too, like, it just gets to the point where even if you're not Michael Jordan, the fact that you could even imitate him that well, that's pretty special. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we got to take a break. Next segment, we've got Nate Duncan joining us, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Oh. Talking Hoops and the Association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm glad that the promo says Talking Hoops and the Association because we've got at Talk Hoops joining us on the show today. Zach Harper uh, in studio. Just moved to Salt Lake. We're happy to have him here. This is a great place, by the way, for any like NBA uh, journalist to be just because, you know, you get all the teams coming in. Obviously, Western Conference teams a lot of fun, and there's not like a ton of like media pressure. Like you're not going to have 50 guys at every interview like you might have in some bigger cities. Yeah, just I kept coming from Miami, which was the last place I lived. Uh, definitely a much more crowded locker room. Yeah. Um, no matter wh- who was in town, so it's it's definitely nice to. I feel like there's some breathing room a little bit. Yeah, and uh, hopefully, I mean, I've, I've read your work for a long time, and hopefully that that helps. You know. Helps with it. I don't want to say that it's been bad so far. <laughs> no, it could say. Like, no, it could use so some it help. Can get even better. <laughs> it could definitely get better. I can tell you that. Uh, we've got Nate Duncan on the line as our guest at the eight o'clock hour on the Salt City Hoop Show. Joining me and Zach. Uh, Nate, how are you? What's going on, gentlemen? Uh, doing great. Uh, well, it's good to have you on. Um, I was excited to have both you and Zach on the show today. Like now, I'm outnumbered by you, national guys. <laughs> yeah, Zach. I didn't re- even realize you had moved to Salt Lake City until just now. It's been a it's been a week and a half. And speaking of podcasts, earlier Nate Duncan has a fantastic podcast that you guys should definitely download and listen to. He does. Nate, where can we do that? Uh, it's called the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, and there's a link to that in my Twitter bio, which is Nate Duncan NBA. Cool. That's good branding. Yeah. 
Easy enough. All right, well, let's start with some jazz stuff first. Uh, I'll get my stuff out of the way, I guess, and then we can go um, talk about the NBA season at large. Um, first of all, that Jazz Warriors game was, was a fantastic game throughout last night. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts, first of all, just kind of on, on the matchup and, and what you saw from that game. Well, I thought that uh, a couple things stuck out to me. One was that Utah was able to stay big, and part of the reason for that was that Golden State couldn't really go to that uh, five-man death lineup because Barnes is out, and you really, you know, if you're going to bring in Livingston, you kind of lose a lot of both from a shooting standpoint and a a rebounding and strength standpoint, a lot of what that lineup gives you. Uh, so I, I thought that was good. I thought that Utah did a pretty good job of attacking Golden State as well. I thought Gordon Hayward had a really great game. Favors as well. I really was both of those guys uh, in their one-on-one matchups. I thought were able to be successful in an encouraging way for Utah. But Steph Curry ultimately was the difference, and he's just takes shots that are good shots for him that just would not be good shots for anyone else in NBA history, and makes them. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's you know you kind of throw up your hands and say, well, what what can you do? Um, you mentioned Golden State kind of staying big alongside the Jazz, um, and then the Jazz. I, I wanted to know what what you think about this triple wing lineup too, um, with with the Jazz not having a point guard on the floor. Yeah, it's interesting, right? This is something that has been advocated by tons of people on teams that didn't have a point guard and, and had more wings. I can't recall a team. Maybe you'd have to really go back to the Jordan Bulls or those early Lakers teams with Kobe and, and Ron Harper or uh, Jordan and, and Ron Harper in the backcourt to really draw a historical comparison for a team that's been able to be effective while using that lineup a lot. But I think you just have enough guys, the fact that all three of those guys, Hayward, Burks, and Hood can all handle the ball is what makes that able to be effective, I do think that where those teams tend to suffer a lot is they don't get that many transition opportunities, but the Jazz play typically at such a slow pace anyway that it doesn't really take away much in terms of that. And, you know, they don't run a ton of just like straight high pick and roll type of stuff anyway. Uh, They like to swing the ball from side to side and having guys who can attack from the wings, uh, no matter who's perimeter guy no matter which perimeter guy has the ball in his hands that can be pretty effective for them Nate with Rudy Gobert you know some of his production is down from the second half of last season but he's defending he's allowing 33 percent at the rim so far this year which is just an unbelievable number what do you think the next step is is for him in terms of developing either on the offensive end of the floor or just as a defensive anchor Uh, I think defensively the effort has been a little inconsistent this year but certainly in some, some of their best games, some of their biggest games, you know, he showed up and looked just as good as last year. Uh, and his ability to, to move on the floor uh, at his size, trap pick and rolls even if necessary, uh, and then get back to defend the rim is fantastic. Offensively, it's been a little disappointing this year. I think he actually has missed playing with Dante Exum some. We have not seen uh, a guy on the Jazz chemistry with him. And unfortunately, that's kind of all he can do offensively is catch Elliott's because if he doesn't have a dunk and he's got a body on him basically, you know, kind of knocking him off balance a little bit, he really has been unable to finish 
inside on anything that isn't a dunk, and that's got to be the next step for him now. He has he does do some encouraging passing at times in the pick and roll, but just being able to finish better, uh, both his, on his offensive rebounds or on plays where he's pressured, is the next step for him. Yeah, and no, I, I think that's interesting, and it's something that he's he's worked on uh, this year a little bit and, and this offseason, but we haven't seen it translate into actual NBA games. You know, like yeah, he, I, just had, he had like one play where he just drove in and wasn't even pressured that badly and just like threw the ball off the backboard. Like, yeah. Awful. He just has, he has no touch when he loses his balance at all. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's a strength issue. I mean, some guys never really uh, get that good at those type of shots, unfortunately. You just don't have to see, like Tyson Chandler uh, is kind of one of those guys a little bit who, you know, can dunk and be a real effective finisher when he's dunking, but just anything else, he's not really any good at finishing. And, you know, hopefully that's not going to be what ends up happening with Gobert. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he does show, uh, he actually shows kind of a, a little bit of touch uh, around the rim in practice on these kind of even like floaters, which is odd to see a seven-one big man with his length and, and arm length especially to, to be able to, to pull off. And he it does even show off a, a good jump shot, but, you know, he's uh, something like over 14 from beyond 10 feet in his career, and we just haven't seen it at all in NBA game action so far. Yeah, I think he's almost in some ways he's a little bit more effective when he's posting up, not that they go to that. Mm -hmm. And that's something he's going to need to get better at as well. I mean, you already have opposing teams putting their best big man defender, usually the center, on favors quite a bit. And favors, when he has a a power forward on him, can be much more effective. So to see Rudy be able to get some quick, deep post-ups would be another step in his evolution. And he's got some okay hook shots and stuff. It's just when he's in an improvised situation – when he's got to go up quickly, get his bearings, uh, absorb the bump, he's just not any good at that. You mentioned the the triple wing lineup earlier, and it's a lineup I'm a huge fan of. But at a certain point, you really do need uh, a point guard, and they, you know, they have Alonetto, they have they have Trey Burke. Hopefully, Dante Exum comes back some point at the end of the season or just next year and can develop quickly. But do, is there a light at the end of the tunnel with what they have, or do you just have to go out and either draft someone with high potential or go trade for someone? Well, I think a lot of it depends on kind of where they are as a team and how long the tunnel is, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a team that most jazz watchers would say, you know, they've had a tough early schedule that have been around 500. But with the way they play, I think actually even as high as like fifth in the West or so might be realistic for the team. Maybe 50 wins could be realistic for the team. If you get to there and you have a, you know, maybe win around in the playoffs or, or at least a, a good competitive first-round series, then you say, all right, we need this team to take the next step now. We don't know what we have in Treyberg. We don't know what we have in Exum. But this is a team that really could start to make some noise, and we got to get a little bit better right now as opposed to just kind of waiting for those guys. If they get the 8th seed, the 7th seed, they're on 500, they go out and kind of, you know, pretty much roadkill fashion in the first run. Then I think, surprisingly enough, you would say, all right, we're gonna, we're not there yet for contention. Let's see what we have in Exum rather than potentially giving up some future assets because simply signing a free agent I don't think is particularly an option this offseason. It's not a very good point guard crop. Really the only guy you could say they realistically might get would be like Darren Williams. I don't think Mike, anyone thinks Mike Conley <laughs> yeah. is leaving Memphis. And there's just not that much there uh, aside from those guys. So there isn't necessarily an easy answer. I think you just kind of stay the course unless 
maybe some sort of a trade option becomes available. But that's really where the Exum injury is so damaging because I think they're all hoping to find out really what they had in him this year. And, of course, they're not going to yet. And they probably won't even next year either because he's going to be cutting off the injury. Right, and then you know, you've got to take that into account of while evaluating his performance. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's it's it's a real question, and and you know it's I kind of called it low hanging fruit a little bit to improve at that position because it would be so easy to get a above replacement level guy you know who may be able to add three or four wins, maybe not the point guard of the future, but at least you could see them adding um, someone who can add few a few wins and maybe bump you up one or two seeds in the in the playoff uh, standings. Yeah, I think even just like a Patrick Beverly type might be something that they could would want to go for, a guy who can play D, shoot open threes. I mean, even in the starting lineup, when you've got Hayward and you've got Hood, and then you're going to be playing Burks as well, you have kind of other guys who can be the primary creators. You don't necessarily even need a guy who can run pick and roll. It's just that Neto has such a weakness offensively with his shooting. You know, I think he's shooting like, you know, making like under 20% of his shots on two-point jumpers at, at this point. He's not a guy who's going to get all the way to the rim. And then Burke still has defensive limitations, uh, although he shot the ball better. So if you can just get a guy who's going to give you competent two-way play, right, I think that is a low-hanging fruit. The other low-hanging fruit would be uh, at the backup big position, a, a good third yeah. third big who's more of a power forward type to play with either favors and Gobert and uh, theoretically shoot the three you know, those guys might come a little bit more expensive. But I think that, you know, Trey Lyles isn't ready ready yet, and Booker is really more of a fourth big type than a third big to me. Yeah, I, I've been pretty disappointed with how Trevor Booker's played this season, uh, just in, in terms of uh, offense, making the right play. Uh, defense, he's always been a little bit limited because of his size, but it, it's clear that the Jazz need an upgrade at both, I think, the third and fourth big positions. Again, you'd, you'd probably prefer Jeff Withy not be your fourth big as well. Yeah, I've always thought he was okay, but, uh, you know, again, as a center, his usefulness on the team is limited when you basically have two guys in Favors and Gobert who are also really going to be playing center uh, most of the time, Favors, when he's with the backup here. Have you, has anything about the Jazz surprised you so far this season in terms of, you know, the way they finished off last season, a historic defensive rating, and, and the way, you know, they really had a lot of momentum coming in? Maybe not everything has come into you know, fruition with the way they finished last season, but has anything surprised you? Uh, you know, I think they've been about right where I kind of thought that they would be. Uh, you know, I mean, what they were doing over the second half of last season, I think, was, was somewhat unsustainable. Um, you know, I did think that at point guard they are going to take a step back. So I think Neto, actually, the way he's played defensively has been nice, and the way Burke has played offensively, at least Burke has shown that he can do something, you know, which yeah. really yeah. was almost entirely absent. Uh, last year, so that would be about it. I think I expected maybe Gordon Hayward to play a little bit better, but now he seems to be coming on a little bit. And you know, I I had some hope that Gobert could be a little bit better offensively than he has been. And then Favors uh, has been, I think, although I always thought he was perhaps criminally underrated, has been maybe even better than you would have thought. So I think overall they're at kind of the top end of the range of where I thought they would be. I mean, I, I think they're going to be, you know. 47 to 50 win type of team if you look at how they've played and how difficult the schedule has been thus far. 
Makes sense. All right, let's let's move to the the league as a whole here a little bit and talk about some of the surprises around the league and and let's go team by team and kind of you know what's going on in in each of these situations around the league. Um, let's start with the Clippers. They they've won their last three in a row, so you know things aren't as bad as as they seemed. Uh, I guess a week ago, but in terms of what you would hope for from them, both I think offensively and defensively, they haven't been what you'd expect, especially with their their bench has been pretty terrible as well. You know what, what's going on in, in Clipperland? Well, I think part of it has been just the injuries that they've had. Uh, you know, despite all the guys that they got, I mean, they really only have four good players right now. Uh, I think they even kind of miss. Matt Barnes a little bit, uh, although I think Stevens is starting to play a little bit better. But with Reddick being injured for a time, Paul now is injured again. He had that groin, came back, re-injured that again. So accounting for that, I mean, I think we always thought that this team was going to be, you know, a number one, number two in the league type offensive efficiency team. They are still number four. So I think most of that gap can be accounted for in the fact that those guys have missed time. Blake Griffin has been pretty excellent, especially in, in the very early part of the year. But, yeah, those bench guys, it, it seems like they've kind of amassed a bunch of names, but it's all there's no one to really play a role. They just are, are all guys who are uh, somewhat below average efficiency creators. And while it helps to have maybe one or two of those guys on your bench, then you need some people around them who are going to be able to play off them, and they just don't necessarily have that. And then also, whenever Paul goes out, they don't have anybody who can distribute the ball, you know, unless you're going to go all the way down in the rotation of Pablo Prigioni, which Doc Rivers hasn't done yet. Uh, so I, I think that they – I expect them to play better than they have so far, but I think there are some real explanations for their struggles that, that make sense. I mean, I don't see them in that top tier of contenders, but I think they will get better uh, as time goes on this year. I still think they're a solid bet for the fourth seed in the West. I think – Maybe for a time we thought there was a small window where the Memphis Grizzlies could be that shock to the small ball trend, right? Like they're such a tough bully ball team that was defensive lockdown. Mike Conley had improved so much. Marcus Saul shed the weight, and he was so good, and he paired so well with with Zach Randolph. But now it's just maybe that ceiling is lower than uh, some anticipated, and they're just kind of in the weight now. Yeah, Zach Randolph to me is always the key for them. Tony Allen also to a certain extent, but Zach Randolph even more because he was one of, as you noted, those small ball antidotes. And he had his best year last year uh, in like three or four years, which is surprising. I think at age 33 and this is his age 34 season now. So you had to expect him to take a step back. And he was never a great defensive player, but he improved quite a bit when he was in Memphis. But now he may be getting to the point where as a starter, especially if you've got a guy who can shoot threes, especially a guy who's a little bit smaller, you know, a Harrison Barnes type, for example, on the Warriors, that guy is going to be able to get more by driving past him and shooting threes over him on offense than Randolph can get by trying to bully him down in the post. And when Zach Randolph is no longer a special player offensively as a power forward that you just you can't deal with due to his offensive rebounding and his deep steals and his post-ups, that's when this style – gets to the point where it's not going to beat uh, the absolute best teams on a given night where it might have in previous years. All right, next next team up, uh, the Rockets. Uh, obviously, tremendously disappointing start for them. They're 7-11. They've fired Kevin McHale. Uh, 
you know, is it is it a heart issue? Is it is it a uh, defensive issue? Is it a system issue? And then how you know how likely is it that they get out of this rut that they're in right now? Well, I, I think there are three components to this. One is that Howard, although he'll on occasion he's kind of getting to that career where he has like good days and bad. Now he's missing he's missing some games. He'll have days where he can get like that LUP had over Porzingis the other night. But he's just not the defensive force that he's been, even when he was playing last year in the playoffs and, and in his healthy games last year. So that, that's one component that they don't have, that one guy you can really defend. Um, another component is just that Ty Lawson, you know, they're playing a guy 30 minutes a game who had been essentially one of the worst players in the NBA at point guard. And now that they aren't starting him anymore, now that they've kind of uh, – you know, just gotten back to kind of what they were doing last year. Patrick Beverly was injured. He's back now. I think they're doing, they can do a little bit better just by excising someone who unfortunately has been, you know, really just awful. You know, so just the fact that he, they, they were kept trying to get him going and then they finally gave up on that. I mean, I think that's the right move given how bad he has been, uh, but also a disappointing one that people thought that he was going to be good. And then Harden, uh, you know, I think the reports were he hadn't come in in the best shape. I mean, if you just look at, the definition on his body compared to even his first year in Houston versus now, and the fact that he's not getting to the basket, he's just he's taking a lot of shots. He still gets to the line, but he doesn't quite have the elite burst that he did. So he's been less efficient this year. He's always one of the league's most efficient players. Now he's kind of you know just slightly above average efficiency. And then you know they're just overall not giving enough effort. Some of their guys like Corey Brewer, Trevor Ariza. Those guys have really, really regressed. Brewers and other guys have been one of the worst in the NBA at his position, uh, and that's probably one of the few contracts that Daryl Morey assigned that I didn't really particularly like when they re-signed him this offseason. So it's really just everything, once you get to it, has been going wrong for them. The uh, Pelicans started 1-11. I think they're about to be 4-14, and but teams that start 1-9, and not even a handful of teams in NBA history have gotten to the playoffs when doing that. Um, this is a team obviously de- destroyed by injuries, but is there any hope of Anthony Davis saving them, or are we just going to waste a, a pretty pretty fun season from him? Yeah, it's interesting, right? They at least have gotten to the point now where they're not a joke anymore defensively. Right. I mean, they had those first five games, which were not helped by having to play the Warriors twice, not helped by the fact that their starting point guards were guys who had joined the team in like the last three days. Um, so they're starting to at least get a little bit more comfortable with one another and defending to the point where – they're not just going to be out of every game completely. Tyreek Evans uh, came back. They haven't looked at the scores yet for today. but uh, So they're starting to get healthier. Um, but I think the chance of them being a good defensive team, they haven't been able to get anything at all over, out of Omer Hasek. I think that was a hope that they could, he could give them 25 quality defensive minutes, at least at center, and not be a train wreck offensively. And neither of those things has been true so far. He's been one of the worst plus-minus players in the NBA, and I think they have ultimately probably dug themselves too deep of a hole. I mean, if you think about it, the Thunder last year with 3-12 and ended up winning 45 games, and, you know, KD only played by 30 games or something last year. So maybe you could there, I think, and get to the level of what the Thunder did overall last year now that they are getting back to being healthy. But I think the odds are against it, especially when you look at the number of teams that are probably greater than anticipated that are going to be in contention for that eighth seed in the West. 
Yeah, I mean, we watched the Jazz versus Pelicans game last week, and it just <laughs> you just feel bad for so, <laughs> I called it zero dimensional because it wasn't even that they had a line of players that worked. They had one point of player that worked. That was Anthony Davis. But like, I mean, in that game, he played forty four minutes, ended up with a plus one in in a game that the uh, that the Pelicans lost by fourteen. I mean, and Omar Oshuk played seven minutes and fifty five seconds and had a minus sixteen in those eight minutes of play like uh, that it, it, you know obviously it's not a promising sign for them moving forward it was it was yeah, kind of Drew like holiday is still he's still on this minutes limit yeah. i do think though like ryan anderson is his back at least yeah. offensively that's something that's encouraging for them and i think ultimately they're going to end up having to be a team that's just gonna have to outscore people probably uh and, and also they really really miss the two-way play of quincy pondexter yes on the mm-hmm. wing, and he's still, I mean, he had surgery right after the playoffs last year, and he still doesn't have any kind of timetable for his return either, and if it's, it was that expensive, you have to wonder how effective he'll be even when he does come back, and he was a guy who kind of saved them last year, and they've been looking for someone at the three for ages, uh, and so not having him has also been a big problem on both ends, but particularly defensively. All right, two more Eastern Conference teams, one positive surprise, one negative surprise. Uh, I'm talking about the Indiana Pacers and the Washington Wizards. Yeah, the Wizards at least won, won tonight, but I think a lot of what their problems is offensively the fact that John Wall just hasn't played that well for them. And then they also wanted to play this small ball style, but they didn't have the bodies to really do that yet. And now that Jared Dudley is starting to get a little bit more effective, again, you know, Alan Anderson at least accompanied them on the road trip this, uh, this week, so maybe he's getting slightly closer within the next couple of weeks to coming back from his ankle surgery, and, you know, Nene has been missing some games. He's been coming off the bench. Gortat hasn't played as well. They've been throwing the ball over the gym uh, from a turnover standpoint. So I think they can turn it around. There's a lot of talent on this team, but their struggles have been somewhat explainable, but also you wouldn't have expected John Wall to be playing as poorly as he has. And then who's the other one that you said? Oh, yeah, the Pacers. Um, The defense for them has been unbelievable. You think of, of who they're starting. Where you know a lot of these games have been starting a, a small lineup. Uh, it's not like their bigs are really like other than Jan Mahimi are fantastic either. But just getting George back I and mean, they're starting Monte Ellis too. But they're still second in defense. Who George has been great. George Hill has been great. Mahimi has been great. And Frank Vogel just knows how to coach defense. I do think they're going to regress offensively because Monte Ellis has not been good on that end either. And George is hitting an unsustainable amount of his jumpers right now. You know, I think this is looking like, especially with Vogel's coaching record, a team that's going to be a top-five defense. And if they can keep that up and even um, maintain an average offense, you know, it could be a 50-win squad in these. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Jazz play the Pacers on Saturday, by the way. We'll, we'll both be attending that game. Anyway, uh, Nate, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Tell us again where we can find your work uh, online. Yeah, so... I do the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. Try to do it pretty much uh, every weekday night, Sunday through Thursday. Uh, okay. So it's there for people in the mornings uh, on the East Coast. And then uh, you can find the link to that in my Twitter bio, Nate Duncan NBA. And I also write on occasion at The Cauldron with uh, SI.com. Perfect. All right. Again, that was Nate Duncan joining us. Um, thanks again once, uh, once more from, for, for Nate for joining us on the show today. 
All right, my pleasure, guys. Looking forward to seeing you on point this year. Thanks, Sounds man. good. Yeah, looking forward to it. We got to do uh, Cheesecake Factory again, like Absolutely. we did last year. <laughs> because there are so many options after the game, right? Yes, <laughs> right. That's that's really our problem. All right, we got to go ahead and we got to take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show. Coming up next, we go around the NBA, talking about the news and notes that have happened in the last week in the National Basketball Association. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Joining you alongside Zach Harper, uh, CBSSports.com national NBA writer. Um, ben Dowsett is out today because he's become a national celebrity. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's busy with other stuff. Um, Let's go around the NBA as we do in this segment every week. Uh, the big question coming into this week was which streak would end first, the the Golden State Warriors winning streak or the Sixers losing streak? Remember, uh, before last night, both teams were at 18-0. The Warriors went to 19-0 uh, after the, they beat the Jazz uh, Monday night in Salt Lake City. Now the Sixers are at 0-18 coming into tonight, and, well, we've got some news there. Yes, it's time for our Lakers, everybody's favorite radio show segment where we just laugh at the Lakers' misery because this week they've provided the Philadelphia 76ers and all of their infinite NBA talent with their first win of the season, snapping their 18-game losing streak. And, by the way, if you combine the end of last season with the beginning of this season, which, in my opinion, is cheating, but whatever. It's cheating. Uh, was the longest losing streak in, in NBA history. Um, if you're Byron, this is a good time for the Lakers. If you're Byron Scott, uh, when Kobe announces his retirement, do you just start immediately updating your resume, your LinkedIn account? <laughs> Does he use Friendster? Like, what are we using here if you're Byron Scott for a resume? I mean, he. Does Byron Scott have a LinkedIn account? I don't. I don't think he does. I, I'd be shocked if he had an email account. Um, I just. <laughs> he's. I mean, there's some bad coaches in the NBA. He's. He's the worst coach right now. Uh, Easily the worst. Yeah, and, and at every level, which is what you know makes him uniquely bad, is that it's from a uh, minute standpoint point of view, it's from a lineup standpoint point of view, it's from a X's and O's point of view, it's from a uh, big picture point of view. He's making mistakes. Even a small picture is really uh, bad. <laughs> I mean, right, he's like, not even good at that. Uh, I think with him too, um, it's tricky when you have to manage two jobs: of one being the Lakers coach and two being Kobe's personal assistant. He's very good at the Kobe personal assistant one, not so good at the coach. He is. He is good at like he's amongst Kobe's biggest fans. Like I, I think Kobe fandom has kind of decreased over the last year as everyone has realized what has happened to him. You know what? He may be Byron, behind. He may be behind all of those egg accounts on Twitter that will yell at you about Kobe Bryant how great he is. <laughs> I bet he's typing out. I bet he just has a control a control paste of uh, of five rings. And, and Ready he's to got, go. Yeah, for multiple accounts. Just yeah, absolutely. <laughs> why not? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of embarrassing. Let's be a little bit honest that they, they lost to the Sixers, who have not looked good this season. No, I mean, they barely look like an NBA team. And I do I think the Sixers are a little over-scrutinized. I think, yeah. you know, the direction of the Sixers in terms of what Sam Hickey's doing, I get, <clears throat> I get going after that. But Brett Brown's a very good coach. He's had them be competitive defensively the last couple of years. Uh, they have a little bit of talent. They just have no backcourt. And right. so you can't win the NBA without a backcourt. Poor little TJ McConnell actually drew his first free throw of the NBA season last night. That's a big moment. Um, which out of 19 games played, or I guess 18 to that point, and then I guess it was 17 to that point. So I you know, back it up a little bit. But 
um, for a, a guard who's playing starting minutes to get his first free throw attempt. Well, that's not good. Although Dante Exum had a similar streak last year where he didn't get to the free throw line. I didn't know, by the way, the sound bite went for so long. This is this is versatile Benny Hill theme music. Thank you, John. By the way, John LaFollette, our, our producer every week on the show, does an awesome job. Um, basically just playing the Benny Hill theme. When he <laughs> <don't want to. laughs> Sorry, no, John does more than that. I promise. Um, all right, that was LOL Lakers for this week. I mean, I thought about not doing it, but uh, it wasn't really even in the plan. But then you lose to the Sixers. You lose to the Sixers. Yeah. It's, it's got to happen. All right. Uh, next up in Around the NBA, Kristaps Porzingis is kind of setting the league on fire a little bit with, with his play. Um, had 20 points, 13 rebounds in his last game against Rockets. That was admittedly a five-point loss for the Knicks, but still has looked really good. Um, is absolutely in the running for Rookie of the Year, despite Carl Anthony Towns' amazing play in his own right, uh, and has created kind of a, a legitimate sensation for himself in, in New York. And a, The Knicks basketball team is, is a little bit exciting again. They're, I mean, I didn't really know what to make of them before the draft because I had seen you know, a little bit of work on Synergy, a, right. a few YouTube videos, but I hadn't seen him play a full game. Everyone I talked to who had scouted him and seen him play in Europe None of them said, I don't know about this guy. They all said this guy can play. Yeah. So that's what I felt. It almost felt like confident. a conspiracy for me at yeah. some points, right? Yeah. Like none of us has seen a lot of this guy play and you and you look at his stats at Sevilla or whatever and yeah. they're they're, you know, pretty decent but not out of this world. But you know, I talked to like his his agency and and the scouts like you mentioned and yeah, they were all so positive about him that it 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 was incredible. It but would, it, it's been I mean, they've been right. Yeah, they've been really right. I mean, he's, you know, 13 and 9. You know, he's not shooting a great percentage, but some of that is, you know, I think you like the looks. You like the shooting touch he has, and I think that will improve. He's a good free throw shooter. Uh, But with him, I also kind of had this feeling of like, all right, this guy's kind of come out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere, but a little bit out of nowhere, and we don't have a lot of film on him to analyze it felt a little Dante Dante Exum ish, yeah. except it's a seven three guy this time. Yeah, or uh, like Ennis Cantor, I think was another yeah, example exactly. where you know you didn't have that film coming in. Yeah, it, except you know I guess it's easier when you're a big man, or maybe it's not easier when you're a big man because you have more responsibilities in terms of physical responsibilities on the court. Uh, but you know he came out of the shadows and he's a he's a pretty enticing basketball player. And right. I think you feel good. Like I don't know if he's a future All Star All NBA guy, but I think you feel good about him being the future of the Knicks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it, yeah, I, I don't know that you want to go out and trade Mello right away in order to you know right. make room for... There are other reasons why you want to go trade Mello. That, <laughs> right, but... the, fair. But, you know, it's not to create the minutes for the, the Zingas. I mean, we still haven't came up with a with great Porzingis nickname, right? Yeah, like, I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, I his know. name is I've... pretty cool as is. Yeah, Kristaps Porzingis. I don't think you'd really need a nickname for that. That's a, that's a pretty unique name. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, the Knicks have impressed so far this season. Maybe not impressed, but uh, exceeded expectations with their eight and ten record. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and they look like a real NBA team, which is an improvement over last year. Um, Eastern Conference is is actually beating the Western Conference this year in their head-to-head games, and you and you look at how different um, those conferences have been over the last decade. Maybe you can even look to the last two decades, um, really since Michael Jordan retired. 
the Western Conference has always been kind of significantly better than the Eastern Conference. This year, you know, a team that may have made the p- playoffs in the Eastern Conference may not have made the playoffs in the – or, sorry, I did this backwards. <laughs> the, the teams that may not have made the playoffs in the Eastern Conference may have made the playoffs in the Western Conference, yeah. where, where it's been the other, other way around for, you know, the 19 years previously. Your thoughts on what's going on there? I mean, is it just randomness? I don't know. I'm what, not buying it. I don't buy it's it at not all. Real. No, I, mean, I don't they're... think it's real. I I think the, I think part of that is uh, the Clippers and the Rockets have been below a- or below standards, yeah. not below average. The Clippers have a winning record now, but um, they've been below their standards, and that's kind of skewed things. Also, we are getting that uh, two week Eastern Conference road trip for the Golden State Warriors. That should even things out a little bit that's as true. they that's keep true. adding that... to the win total. And I just. Uh, I don't know. I think the I think the West has been more top heavy than we anticipated, not as deep. But I think mm-hmm. that corrects as teams get healthy. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You look at say uh, the Rockets. You look at maybe you can expect better play from uh, the Clippers, Grizzlies, Mavericks. I mean, all the teams that we just mentioned with Nate. There's probably only one or two teams that you would really expect to improve in in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and you look at, all right, the 7-8 seed are above 500 for the East, which is astounding, um, but it's the Hornets and Magic. It, you know, you compare them to the Jazz and the Suns as the 7-8 in the West, I, I'd take the Jazz and the Suns every time over those guys. Yeah, so you said the Hornets and the Magic, is that your 7-8? Your well, as of right teams. now, that's yeah. the that's the standing, what Boston's tied with Orlando Suns. Yeah, yeah no, I, I would too. I, I think the Celtics are, I, I might Maybe the Celtics Waffle over the Suns. between Celtics and Suns, yeah. yeah. But I would agree I'd take the Suns over the Magic and Hornets, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Based on what we know about their rosters. Um, I do like this Hornets team, though, with the way they play, chucking up a lot of threes because I do like three-point shooting. And when Kemba Walker actually hits a shot, which has been few and far between over his NBA career, uh, that's, that's a pretty fun addition. No doubt. Speaking of chucking up threes... We're about to talk about Jimmer Fredette. Yes. You, you've, you've come to Utah now, by the way. So, like, where Jimmer is, is always a topic of conversation, no matter what's going on in, in the Jimmer's career. Um, he had his NBA D-League debut last night and actually played incredibly well. 37 points on 17 shots for the Westchester Knicks. Yes. Um, I mean, you can't ask for much more out of a D-League debut. I'm still not sold on him as, like, an NBA player, but um, he's at least fun at the D-League level in one game of sample size so far. There was an interesting article on Yahoo when things didn't work out with him in the Spurs, essentially saying, like, maybe it's his attitude mm-hmm. where, you know, there is some NBA skill here, but his attitude isn't allowing him to accept his role. I don't know how valid that is, but, you know, I figure if it's posted on Yahoo by a reputable by reporter, you you feel close. yeah, yeah you mean, feel pretty good about the sourcing of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a little bit of merit to it. For what uh, it's worth, I've heard corroboration from oh, per- non-Woj yeah. sources that, you know, that that wasn't the first time I had heard that, by the way, that basically the, the word was that his attitude was, an assistant coach said in that article that his attitude wasn't one of development, was but was, well, this is what I did to succeed in BYU, then right. I can continue to take this pr- approach at the NBA level. I actually got introduced to Jimmer on a, at the college level in terms of I'm a San Diego State guy. Okay. Went there, uh, so I was a huge Kawhi Leonard fan. Okay. By the way, I went there long before Kawhi, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard went there. Um, so I was excited about Kawhi Leonard. They faced off a couple of times, and um, Twitter – you know, trying to analyze games on Twitter, I was like, oh, now we get to see what Jimmer looks like against like a real NBA yeah. defender. And BYU fans pounced because Jimmer mania was incredible. <laughs> right. And to be fair, I love Jimmer pulling up from 35 feet and knocking down shots. That's yeah. a really fun shot to see go down time and time again. Uh, but that that was kind of the test to me. And he did a good job against Kawhi, but Kawhi also wasn't Kawhi back then. He was still 
developing as a defender. And now you kind of see on a nightly basis, like even the most average NBA defender has made Jimmer look below average. And that's an adjustment you have to make both from game preparation and mentally. Agreed. Um, the Cavs, by the way, you may remember J.R. Smith riding around one of those like oh, very... segways without a, a handlebar. They, they're called hoverboards, but they don't hover. So I don't like that name at all. Yeah. Um, but you remember this, right? Of just... He almost ran me over. Did he, really? In the last game of the NBA Finals in Cleveland, he came around the corner after the game on it as I was coming around the corner. I had to sidestep him. Otherwise, I would have been trampled. Well, so, I don't think it's trampled with those, but no. I would have been run over. So you are you pro this ban? Because now they've banned it from the Quicken Loans Arena or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, because I don't understand the physics of them. So if so, I don't understand the physics, I'm out. <laughs> so they had one in the KSL offices last week, and I got to write it and like kind of – try to balance my way through it. First yeah. of all, it's incredibly hard to learn. Like, sure. It's not like you get on and just start writing this thing. It's like you get on and then fall off like eight times yeah. and then eventually start to get your balance. So it's it's cool that J.R. Smith did it so smoothly. Um, I I think it's part of this. This feels like LeBron's professionalism campaign <laughs> sure. coming out in a, in a new new way. I think it jumped the shark, too, because during a halftime show in Miami earlier this season, uh, I watched the Heat mascot do the Macarena. On, <laughs> so I think at that point we were we're out on. We're that. done. Yeah. If, so long as like college football coaches aren't doing it, though, right? right. It, it Although it still I, has a little bit left. I right? could see in the NFL. I could see Pete, Pete Carroll going down the <laughs> sideline on one of these things. The NFL actually seems like the perfect place for one of those. Yeah, right? like you, absolutely. You Mike can Tomlin just, can chase down, down. A, a referee with one. It'd be great. Yeah, I, I, I am, I'm anti banning the hoverboards. Pro them being in in arenas in whatever sport nationwide. Yeah, if, if I don't understand the science of it, I'm out. Uh, okay. I, it scares me. <laughs> Um, Jaleel Okafor got in a little bit of trouble uh, this week when, when video surfaced of him I, p- kind of punching a fan. Let's yep. be honest. That's, that's what happened. Um, and, and Okafor has since apologized. Uh, it's unclear at this point, I think, whether or not any sanctions will come from the NBA as a result from this incident. But, I mean, clearly kind of a, a young man who's been pretty promising in his play so far, um, you know, well, punching a fan. That's, that's not it's ideal. a no-no. Yeah. <laughs> What what do you make of it? Um, I think it's more disturbing when you find out that if you believe this report, there was a report that a couple of weeks earlier he had gotten into a verbal altercation that resulted in somebody pulling a gun on him. Wow. So if you're going from a, if that is true and you're going from an incident where someone pulls a gun on you to you just deciding to punch that person, uh, you're not situations. Now, no. you're 19. I The fact that he makes a million dollars at – at 19 years old doesn't bother me like he's he's earned that with the market and that's just the way things are and so i i have no problem with that i just you know i don't expect you make perfect decisions at 19 but you've got to learn from an incident as scary as someone pulling a gun on you and you can't keep having these transgressions now that sixers are reportedly gonna you know start putting bodyguards around him when he goes out and stuff and that's a good idea maybe they should have been doing that from the start but it you just want these guys safe yeah, and you kind of want them to be, uh, hopefully, have a role model or you know, kind of a, a someone to show them around yeah. the town who's, who's going to be taking them to the places where you know you can still have fun and, and live the NBA lifestyle while not getting in your life in danger, right? Uh, or getting yeah. in punching people sort of fights. And I don't think anyone's surprised to find out that it was a Boston fan who he ended yes. up punching. Yeah. Anyway, that's around the NBA for this week. We've got one more segment left on the Salt City Hoop Show. We're going to have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, We've got a good quote from Joe Ingles that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700.
listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. There's one thing we need to do. We've got to make this love slow down. we got to turn this thing around. All right. Welcome back in Salt City Hoops show. That is the Jazz Brothers. From the late 1980s, Zach is looking oh so God. deeply confused. I, I'm, I'm but, in heaven right I feel like I'm in a, <laughs> like a Rob Lowe 80s movie. This is amazing. So this is Thurl Bailey. Oh, um, yeah. And he and four other jazz in, in, I believe, 1989 started this, like, jazz slash blues band with them singing and... and Making songs like this, so this is this is keep it sexy. This is one of their bigger hits. It's it's a little like trop or uh, semi pro. Yeah, the, the Flint Tropics. Like <laughs> this so is semi-pro. this is kind of amazing. I gotta uh, get this CD or record. I don't know what album. Yeah, eight, <laughs> eight track. <laughs> um, I gotta find the article about it, by the way, because the story of them them coming together is fantastic. That like. They started in a mall somewhere in like Minneapolis sure. on on a road trip, and you know, like let's let's make a barbershop quartet. Of, <laughs> it, it's absurd. Uh, okay, yeah. Here's here's the story on on Google News from 1987. Headline: Jazz Brothers. We were in Phoenix in a shopping mall. Forward, Thurl Bailey said. It was to go no further than that in our minds. We were just clowning around. The Jazz Brothers featured Thurl Bailey, Del Curry, Ricky Green, Daryl Griffith, Carl Malone, and Kerry Scurry. Only Bailey has any formal musical training and modern recording techniques make up for the rest. <laughs> I believe that's how Britney Spears' career got started. Yes. Um, so, oh, by the way, uh, is this, yeah, Meryl Osmond, so not Donnie or Marie Osmond, yeah. but Meryl Osmond co-wrote Keep It Sexy, sure. the song we're listening to. Yeah, no, you can tell in the lyrics. <laughs> but I love that. There's, We'll have to play the other one. For you at some point, um, but Carl Malone's vocals are are great. I like, can't I just, imagine it's quite an experience. It's just whenever he can, he gets in there and does his solo, does his thing. It's it's fantastic. Anyway, we've got we've only got two minutes left on the show, but let's go ahead and no, it's it's my fault. No, that was um, great. <laughs> let's play Joe Ingles' quote from practice today. It's, it's short but sweet, but I thought it was funny. Do you kind of consider yourself the Steph Curry of Australia? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the Joe Ingles of America. I mean, Steph Curry is the Joe Ingles of America. Do you, does anyone disagree? I think that was on his pre-draft report. Like, that's that's part of the reason he was still a lottery pick. Is, is that Joe Ingles or Steph? Yeah, Steph, Steph Curry, Curry yeah, the Joe no, Ingles of America. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, got in, he got the seventh pick because they knew he was the Joe Ingles of America. <laughs> I mean, you can't ask for anything more right. from a Otherwise, maybe player. second round. Right. I mean, if you're compared to the great names like that, there's yeah. always that famous like NBADraft.net sure. comparison where they compared Deshaun Stevenson to Michael Jordan. Yeah, Adam Morrison to Larry Bird. Yeah, <laughs> you know things <laughs> things are going well for you um, if you're if you're getting a good name comparison. I'm sure that helped. Well, Deshaun Stevenson was his was he still a second round pick? No, that, I'm thinking C.J. Miles, but C. Deshaun Miles Stevenson was first round. Um, <laughs> we're <laughs> off topic. Derek Favors, by the way, is looking for a new nickname. Um, we, can't figure D Fave feels like it's too mundane for a nickname in, in this golden age of, of basketball. He's a big tough guy. Is party favors not good enough? I, I like sexual favors personally. Sure. Yeah, I mean who <laughs> I don't doesn't? know that like we can we can use that as a nickname. You probably can't repeatedly. throw that on the Jumbotron. Can we say that on the radio even? Did well, I just break <laughs> rules? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't exactly know. Um yeah, party favors, I it, it seems like something should work there. 
Yeah. He he rejected flavor. What was it? Flavor favors or something like that. Something. I would have moved good. away if that was accepted. Yeah, I, I think I that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Anyway, the Jazz have two more uh, home games before going on the road. One Thursday against the Magic, and then, like we referenced earlier, the Pacers are at home next Saturday. Thank you again, Zach, for joining Thank me on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, this is another Salt City Hoop show. You've been listening to it on ESPN 700.